0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the TWC Stay Hated Podcast. On this episode, I got a chance to sit down and chat with J.L. Holdsworth. Before I get into the details of the episode, just want to remind you guys that the Patreon page is up and running, and it's a great way to support the show. Also, I've been doing a Patreon-exclusive Road to the WPO vlog, going over all my training and all that stuff going into the WPO. If you don't want to do that, if you could like rate, subscribe, share with your friends. That's very helpful. Uh, And if you don't want to do that, you want to just sit and listen. That's cool too. And I appreciate you guys. As far as this episode is concerned, JL is another part of the large fraternity of people from Westside Barbell that I've had on the show. Uh, He trained there for quite some time uh, and he has had world records in the past. He is also a business owner, a very successful gym called the Spot Athletics in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, really well-spoken individual. He has gone through a ton of steps to grow as a human being, and he has some really smart shit to say. There's no other way to say it. He has some really smart shit to say. It was an awesome episode, so I don't want to give it anything else away. This is episode 149 of the TWC Stay Hated Podcast. Enjoy it. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the TWC Stay Hated Podcast. On this episode, I am joined by the legendary JL Holdsworth. Uh, JL and myself met uh, several years ago, four or five years ago, kind of through uh, like our connections through Westside. I used to get PT done at his business. I'm really excited to have him on the show. He's had a, he had a really cool career. He's obviously a great businessman um, and has had a lot of experiences that I can't wait to uh, to have him share with you guys. So I'm stoked to have him here. JL, how you doing today, buddy?
1: I'm doing great, Ants. Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course, man. Like, uh, you're kind of one of those dudes that I feel like you're not super, like, pop culture, powerlifting, everybody knows about you, which is fucking crazy, because you've done some, like, really sick shit in the sport. You know everybody in the sport, trained at Westside early on, like, homies with Dave Tate, like, all this stuff. Um but it's like, it's odd to me that you're, you're like, you're a household name for people who know like a power lifters lifter. And I feel like more people should know about what the fuck you've done and what you've seen and what you've been around and all that stuff. So uh, I really appreciate you giving me the time and I know you're a busy dude. So uh, like, first, let's just like start off with the easy shit. So like, how old are you now? And when did you find like powerlifting the sport itself?
1: Yeah. So for me, lifting started really early. I was, uh, I was a real late bloomer. So, you know, going into my freshman year of high school, I mean, I cut down, I wrestled 135 as a freshman in high school.
0: Holy and, shit!
1: Right. And so, uh, it's interesting because on a bus ride back from wrestling, uh, friend of mine, Joven Brocklin, we're sitting on the bus. I'm telling him I want to play college football and he's going, you know, you're not, big enough. You're not strong enough, all these pieces. And so, well, what do you do when you want to do that? You join a gym. And, uh, so for my 15th birthday, my parents bought me a gym membership. And after that, you know, I had a job and I worked and paid for it. And I mean, I spent every day in that gym and come my junior year, uh, or sorry, my sophomore year, I came in my sophomore year to start football season at 185 pounds and things changed. And I, I think from that experience, you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk some about the spot athletics is, you know, we have our private training facilities in Columbus, but really my whole path in lifting was that small gym. I'm from a small town in Northern Michigan. It's called TNT gym. It was in the basement of a JC pennies, which is crazy. (laughs) Right. And, And I mean, there was a handwritten note that was pasted above the mirrors that said, if you didn't bring your mom, pick your shit up. And (laughs) right. And so the thing was like, I did, I had a, we'll call it a different, uh, upbringing. So, you know, I'd have to ride my bike to the gym when it was after school, I'd walk to the gym and then I couldn't, I didn't get a ride home until about six o'clock. So, you know, I was at the gym for three hours every day and there was a guy at the front desk and his name's Bill Murbs, And, Bill saw me work and I didn't know, man, it was, it was magazines. It was, you know, Iron Man and flex and all these other pieces. And man, he just, he was a power lifter, bodybuilding guy. And he just took me under his wing. And back in those days, bro, like number one, I had to work to pay for my $30 gym membership. So, (laughs) you know, like personal training didn't exist. And even if it did, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. And what was amazing was Bill took every day, taught me how to train, gave me a love and a skill set. I mean, he transformed my life. I mean, the rest of my life changed because this dude who didn't know me from shit invested in me every day and it built a passion of lifting that I love to pass on. And, you know, that's what we talk about at the spot. Like Our mission is to give everyone who walks through the door. A chance to have that Bill Murb's experience, that positive transformation that they could change the outcome of their life. And to me, man, that that's why I do what I do. It's it's giving back because Bill gave me what my life is today for nothing.
0: Yeah. And and that's sick, too, man, because I think that with sort of gym culture now. And I'm not really into like bashing on current gym culture. Cause I think for the most part it's good, but there is like that sort of like headphones in like non-communal sort of training that goes on a lot. I think amongst like college kids, especially with the raw lifting being so popular and stuff that a lot of people don't, maybe don't get a chance to have that experience where they have like the older guy take him in and be like, Hey dude, like, this is how you, not only like how you train, but this is how you act when you're in a lifting group. And I think that that shit's really important and cool. And it seems like most of the dudes that come from like your era had a really strong introduction to like the second part of that, where it's like, yeah, man, we could talk about sets and reps and what you eat and you know, all this shit. And, and that's important. But like, if I would assume that that dude also said to you, when someone's fucking lifting, you pay attention and you spot, you help load their plates. They help you look like you don't get to just learn. You have to give something back as well. Is that a right assumption to make?
1: A hundred percent. And I think it's really sad, you know, that the transition obviously started happening long before today. And I remember, you know, uh, training, With a guy who said, Hey, I want to train with you. And he came, and and this was, this was a while ago. You know, this is 10, 12 years ago. And we're at the gym. We're, we're doing the middle of our sets. And he takes out his phone and starts recording shit. And I, and I said, If, if you take your phone out one more time, it'll be fucking done. And (laughs) sure as shit, right? He pulls his phone out and I grabbed that some bitch from his hands and smashed it on the dumbbells. And I was like, You said you want to fucking train? We're fucking training. And, you know, to me, this is a a big thing that I've really been on lately is most people today have no clue how to train or what training is. Now, they work out, they work out hard, but they (laughs) are not fucking training. And here's the thing. And and Dave and I, it's interesting, you know, Dave and I, like people come to the compound all the time and. You know, we'll be we'll be talking, or you know, way back West Side, and people come in, and we'd be watching, and we'd be like, "These motherfuckers don't know how to train." The funny part is, Dave and I never defined what that meant. We just knew, yes, and, right, yes. and because we spoke that same language, it would it would be like you and I both speak English. I don't say hi to you, and then define what hi means. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And coming, coming from, you know, the, the training background that, that I did is, you know, what training is. And, and one of the biggest pieces that I believe is, is key. And, you know, everybody can talk about training. Oh, you have a program. You're training for something. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Still working out. If you are, there's two delineating factors that make training. Number one, and it goes to what you talked about is people lifting by themselves and doing that. They're not fucking training. If you are not doing it with a crew, you are not fucking training. Because if you don't have people watching every single fucking rep, queuing you, coaching you, you're not training. Like, you think, you know, I always told people six months at Westside was like fucking five years anywhere else. Because every fucking squat rep I did, I had Chuck Vogapol, Louis Simmons, Dave Tate, right? Like, all these guys, Wendler, like, all these guys... Every single rep, Ruggiero, all these dudes were cueing me, coaching me, pushing me every single rep. That's fucking training. And the other thing, if you are, you can have all that. You can be lifting with guys. You can do all that. However, the one biggest delineating factor that defines whether or not I believe you're training is if you are not purposefully OCD as fuck about everything you do in the gym, you're not training (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, like Like,
1: how do you control the controllables, right? Like if I'm setting up for an 800 pound bench and I'm putting that over my face, there's some shit that can go wrong. So how I set up, where I set my feet, how I tie my shoes, how I put my fucking underwear on, where I set my hands, how I set my shirt. I mean, every single tiny minutia is taken care of so that I can just put all my fucking energy into crushing fucking world record weights, right? And if, if people aren't training, and I, I do it at the Spotify Flex all the time, I mean, there's certain things like it drives me ape shit when people have the plates with the numbers facing out, right? Just <laughs> same, yeah, same dude. Like there's certain things like it, these have to be this certain way. And, and that's not OCD and the like tapping three times before you do something randomness. I'm talking about you know, if I'm, if someone's training for a meet and they're not training on a competition bench, if they're not using the same bars they're going to use in the meet, you're working out. You're just working out. It you're Because you're not preparing yourself for that competition, right? Like you don't see professional football players using a fucking baseball at practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I get it, man. And I think that it's funny because you work with, a bunch of younger athletes and stuff and athletes of all age over at, at your, uh, at the spot athletics. And it's, I work with, you know, we open the gym up in um, New Hampshire and we have a lot of athletes there. And that's pretty much like half of our demo there. And you look at them and they might miss a lift or they might have a rough day. And I just look at them and I think of it in like, are you checking the boxes sort of way? Like, don't talk to me about a, a lift you missed if I look at you and say, how much water have you drank today? And they say, I don't know. It's like, you should be able to look at the gallon that you're carrying around and say, I've drank this much so far, or what'd you eat for breakfast? And they say a pop tart. It's like, well, that ain't going to fucking do it. You know what I mean? It's like, you have to, it's like, you don't get to talk to me about, uh, or with the conjugate stuff that, you know, you get people who might start saying like, well, it's I'm using, uh, should I go up to 35% in band tension from, and it's like, well, motherfucker, you can't even get yourself in bed on time to get eight hours of sleep. So don't talk to me about paying attention. Like you have to convict, yeah, control the controllables first.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean that, you know, at the spot we have our pyramid of athletic development and, okay. you know, what you're talking about speaks to that. And, and this pyramid is something we educate our athletes on. You know, we have a, a app that they train every day when they come in, they answer questions relating to to the pyramid of athletic development. And we we have one for adults. It's the pyramid of physical fitness. And the base of those pyramids are the same for both populations. Number one is breathing. There's nothing more essential and crucial that you can do than having really good breathing patterns throughout the day. Nothing will do more for you. And then the second layer of that pyramid is sleep, just what you just talked about. And the third layer is mindset. The fourth layer is nutrition because yeah, you can talk to me about how you think nutrition is important but if your mindset is I don't have time, I'm this I'm that. Well then your <laughs> nutrition is net right your nutrition is never going to be on point. And if your breathing is not on point, then you're not going to sleep as good. If your sleep's not on point, your mindset's gonna suffer. If your mindset suffers, your nutrition suffers. So we talked to our athletes and was like, look, when we talk to to our athletes, number one most important factor next is speed. And, and when we talk about, you know, our athletes, we say speed is king. But when we talk about how we get there in that pyramid, the first part we need is flexibility. Because if we can't get in the positions we need, then it doesn't matter how fast we are in, you know, a perfect upright sprint position. If we're in a, you know, a multi-directional field sport. And so as I go up that pyramid, right? It's breathing, sleep, mindset, nutrition, flexibility, speed strength and the very, very tip of the pyramid is conditioning. It's the easiest piece to build. It it is. So the fact that people like we tell parents, we don't really condition your athlete because they'll get that from their sport. We make sure they walk into their sport, the strongest, fastest, most injury resilient athlete possible. They'll get the conditioning. Like, the fascination in our country with conditioning, you know, it, it goes back to, it's funny, right? Like, and my, many people don't know this, and I don't know if you do. Do you know why there's such a, fascina- a fascination with conditioning in our country? Why that's prevalent over, like, you look at a lot of European co- countries, it's it's really strength dominant. But ours is really, really high on the conditioning. Do you, do you know why this is or have an idea? No, I just always
0: thought it was goofy to watch the coaches obsessed with conditioning in like anaerobic sports in like a weird fashion like why is a baseball player running five miles at practice that doesn't make any fucking sense like i've looked at it that way but i don't know where it comes from
1: so to me i'm a, I'm a you know it's funny you ask my age uh if you if you ask my kids i have a, a 16 an 11 and a seven year old and they say mom has four kids because I'm basically a, a three-year-old dude. I mean, <laughs> I, I want to know why, right? I'm that guy. Why? 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 And if no one knows the answer, I want to find the answer. Sure. And for me, it, it just goes back to, to this great story about a little girl. Thanksgiving dinner, she's watching her mom cook the turkey. Mom cuts the front third and the back third off the turkey little girl's like, mom, that's so wasteful. Why would you do that? So, well, that's the way my mom cooked the turkey and it was really good. So, little girl goes to ask her grandma. I said, grandma, why would you do this? And I said, well, honestly, sweetie, I, I, that's the way my mom cooked. It It was really good. So, luckily, little girl's Nana's alive. She, she goes to her Nana, I said, Nana, why would you cut the front and the back third of the turkey off? It seems really, really wasteful. And her Nana looks at her and goes, well, sweetie, when we were coming up, we were so poor, we couldn't fit the whole turkey in the oven.
0: <laughs> Great fucking story, dude.
1: Great. So so the whole point of conditioning as this like emphasis and this fascination, it comes from the military. And so it's what's interesting about this is the military has, you know, th- their standards and what they did. I mean, it didn't really move for 100 years. And so, you know. The physical fitness standards, all those things, like what were they built for? They were built for another world war, right? And when you're, they were built for trench warfare, which let's face it, doesn't exist anymore, right? And so the military has completely shifted its standards, its PT tests, everything to reflect modern military. However, all of their standards, their condition, everything that they initiated a hundred years ago, that's what went through the schools. That's what went through the sports, right? Because that's how the military does it. And they're the blah, blah, blah. Right. And so sure, this prevalence and what's interesting is now the military has shifted, but this prevalence still remains. And there's many, many sports, like you said, that, that have baseball players running five miles. It, it's it's ridiculous. But when you ask them, right, it, it, their reasoning is, this is what I did in high school and it worked, right? It's the turn, yes. right? Like it was good. Well, you don't know what good is, man. Like." It's like people come to Westside, they'd be like, oh, like this dude, I'm the strongest guy in the gym. I've 500 pounds. It's like, yeah, OK, well, you're going to train with the girls today.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, it's funny that like you said, like because my coach made me did it, sh- do it shit is so funny because it's like we're going to train this way because my coach made me did it. It's like, well, you but you sucked at the sport and you hated your coach. So why are, so why are we emulating what you did now? Why aren't we trying to like move it forward? And it's like, it's really interesting what you're saying about conditioning. Cause that's kind of like something I'd hear Louis say too, where it was like, man, we can get you conditioned in fucking two or three weeks easy. You know what I mean? Like that shit's not hard.
1: No. Can, and, and this is the piece, right? Is there's this fascination with so much in that realm of, you know, killing yourself in workouts and whether it's running long distance as an athlete, there's so many things that don't make sense from a performance perspective. And look, I, I think it's changing, but the one thing, you know, and I I've changed, you know, who I am as a human being today versus, you know, eight years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm a different human being and, you know, Back, you know, 10 years ago, I would get so pissed and call the people, you know, idiots and this and that and cuss them up and down with the outlook I have in life now, man. These coaches that are doing this, like they want to win ball games. They're not (laughs) doing it right. Like they're not doing it because they think it's bad. They're like, and that's the thing, right? Is, is people always, and, and my belief is that people are generally good. However, things that happen to them in their life, different, whatever you want to say, makes them act in a way that they do things that maybe the world perceives. Like for you and I sit here and we're like, oh, why would that coach do that? Well, you know what? In life, dude, you have one responsibility in life to survive. (laughs) That, that's it. Right. Like that, that's the sure. only contract your body has with you is survive. Not like feel good, not lift a lot of weights, not be comfortable. No, survive. And so that coach, he wants to be safe because safety means I can survive. And so doing the same thing you've always done, that's safe. But, there's no risk. Yeah. If if you come along and you say, Hey, this and this and this, man, that's scary. That's risk. And, and the thing is, is that coach wants to win. It's their team. And that's what I get. Uh, you know, I get upset with a lot of strength coaches, you know, where they bash on this person does this. And this person does that, or this coach does this, you know, and I'm always like, man, walk a fucking mile in their shoes. Like, you, you don't know anything about them, where they come, you know. And and so whenever I go into a team and if I'm consulting, like I always take the approach of this person is doing the best they can with the information they have right now. And I think if you're in, you know, youth sports, if you're in, you know, for the most part, if, if, if you I'll say this, if you're training people on a daily basis, because there's some definitely some you know, influencer type people who've never really worked with anybody who don't give a shit about people. They just want to, you know, have big egos, but <laughs> there's, if you're working with people, if you're in youth sports, if you're a coach, like you, you're doing it because you want to help people. You're not doing it because you want to be rich. Like this is not the field to be rich in. No. and so Yeah. So, so when I look at that, like I always look at whatever someone's doing, I always want to look at it with a ton of grace because I know they're doing the best they can with what the knowledge and where they are as a person, because, you know, I have like a lot of the work that I've done over the last, you know, seven years is really in this unconscious capacity realm. And, you know, it's one of those things where I just didn't have answers. And so I just, I'm you know, I'm, I'm an inch my, you know, I'm not a mile wide and an inch deep. I'm an inch wide and a mile deep kind of guy. Right. I love mastery. And so, when I look at this, you know, what you know, your knowledge, that's your conscious awareness of how to do something. But your subconscious, your unconscious mind is your ability to execute the thing you know how to do. And so, you might lay everything out for that coach and then go, yeah, that's better, that's better, that's better. And then they're going to go out to practice and they're going to run kids five miles. (laughs) Right? Like... Because consciously they can understand everything, but unconsciously they're so unsafe in their system that their, their body literally won't let them make a change. And, you know, people are struggling with this concept the the way I relate it is really simple. People come in the spot and they go, do you guys do like diets and nutrition? And I look at them and I go, what's healthier, broccoli or pizza? <laughs> right, like yeah. no one gets it wrong right they all go well broccoli of course it goes awesome sounds like you have all the nutrition information you need sounds like you have a behavior problem dude that's
0: like i love that shit that's the best when it's like you know the answer to this i don't have to tell you this you know so, the answer
1: and so this whole you know conscious knowledge and unconscious ability to execute the, the example that i give that that drives it home for people is everyone knows what to eat to be lean However, everybody's felt that thing where we're reaching for that piece of pizza going, oh, I want to get lean. Why am I eating this? That's because your conscious mind knows what you should be doing, but you don't have the unconscious capacity to execute what you know you should be doing. Sure. Yeah. And so, and so that whole piece, like I always look at what people are doing, no matter what is, you know, whether it's someone you see someone and this is a thing, right? The internet, like. You know, someone's doing something in the gym, and everyone's like ripping on them doing this, and it's like, dude, why not help that fucking person, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, like I look back to, and the thing is, right, is like, I think you know, I have a different perspective. But, dude, what if, what if fucking Bill Mervs would have laughed at what I was fucking doing, and and just would have stood over in their corner, and, and obviously Instagram and the internet didn't really exist. But what if they would have just been instead of fucking coming over? and mentoring and guiding and changing my fucking life. he just sat there taking a fucking IG story and making fun of me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, dude, that it would, it's, it's insane. Like to think about stuff like that, that like small um, gesture to want to help somebody instead of like shit, talk them to death or ignore them or make fun. um, I think that is so fucking important because right now on the internet and in culture, like, hate seems to win like it seems like like talking shit seems to win where it's like man like we should really be pushing the culture more towards like you said like hitting him with the empathy and being like I know this dude no one goes into the g- gym and says I want to waste my fucking time like mm-hmm. they go in and do exactly what they think is the best and i think that what you're saying is really interesting dude when it comes to like speaking to coaches or doing your consults and all that and it's like if you go in there with a fucking huge ego being like this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, they're going to be able to feel that energy. But if you're going in there saying like, "Listen, I know you're trying to do your best, but let me show you this other way or whatever," you probably get a better response from them.
1: Yeah, and and you know the thing that I would say is language is so important. So the the, the way and I would, you know, for you, for for people listening, you, you really work to stay away from butts. Okay. So, so think speak about on that. it. Okay. So we're hanging out. A girl walks by, and I say, Man, Aunt, check that out. Chick's so hot. But now what are you thinking? You're waiting for the fucking shoe to drop, right? Like, right. But, <laughs> yeah. but if I say, Aunt, check that chick out. She's so hot. And, Okay. Now you're like, oh, fuck. What and what else? He's hot and what, what else? else? Yeah, sure. And, right, so when you, you know, you're talking about going to the coast, like, hey, what you're doing is great, but no, that instantly, you know, there's a negative coming after a but, dude. And so- okay. When you're talking to people, think about the difference between if I said to you, hey, you know, you send me a program, I look it over you're like, Hey, will you look over this program or whatever? Or, will you look over this business plan? Right. And and I get it, I'm like, all right, well, it's pretty good, but you know, there's some stuff. Or I said, dude, this this is really good. And I think we can even optimize it and make it better. Yeah. Yeah, the verbiage is like right. way which, different sounding. Which one? Which one are you excited to have the cook? Like, because the one I'm like, yeah, it's it's good, but so you know, I'm about to shred your shit apart. Mm-hmm. And so, but is adversarial with the person, whereas and is synergistic, and we're building together.
0: That's a fucking awesome point, dude. I <laughs> I don't have anything smart to say after it about it because it's just like you write like it's. Uh, it's really interesting how like just the way that the sentences sound, the tone of your voice doesn't change, but it uh, it, it, it instead it just the the whole vibe changes off of that one subtle difference. Um, and that's really cool. I love like this is why I, let, I really enjoy podcasting because you get these these moments where I I kind of get this like really clear picture of something that could help me in my life, my business. Uh, and I had never really thought of that. And I do deal with this a lot when you're dealing with kids now because they have the internet and they can look at you and they can say, well, I saw this thing online. I think we should maybe try this, or I think we should maybe do this. You get into this like defense mode, where uh, using that word and and changing the response, you might get a more sympathetic response from the kid who's going to be more open to what you're saying to them.
1: Well, because, right, whatever drill they're seeing or doing, like you're already, if it's anything, if they're training any kind of worthwhile quality, say apply metric or something, right? You know, the difference is, you know, you shut them down, right? And and There's a whole piece and look, man, you know, I have a, uh, <laughs> a extremely violent past and uh you know, it, like back in the day, if I went a week without slapping someone, like it was, it was like, it was worth celebrating. Right. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's, I mean, like I, like one of the, you know, my Michelle, like, she, you know, she's, you know, I met, met my wife because she's best friends with Chuck's wife. And so uh Chuck Vogupol. for, I, I hope people know who Chuck is for the love of God. But <laughs> um, And so, you know, it's funny. Like I was helping her move and I was in a big U-Haul and some dude was just, I was going too slow for him. I wasn't turning fast enough. So he started beeping his horn and dude, I jumped out of the truck and just started going back and I'm. He rolled his window up. He thought he was slick, but like, this was like a daily thing. And so for me, his sunroof is open. I jumped in his sunroof and started slapping him. And, you know, Michelle, she's trying to pull me out of the car and I'm half in the car, you know, and this dude's getting slapped. So I'm going to punch him because he was a little bitch, but you know, but I was slapping him (laughs) and, you know, but like, that was like, that was like a normal deal, dude. Like maybe that happened every week, but that was once a month for sure. And, you know, Because I was living in such a survival mode from a lot of things from growing up and and a lot of different pieces. But, you know, so when I look now at where I'm at and how I see the world and and I see some of these behaviors of, you know, people making fun and doing pieces coming from where I came from, I look and I go, man, that person is really struggling in life. That person has no safety and stability within themselves. So they have to put others down to make themselves feel safe. And I just did it with violence, but today it's making fun. It's, you know, instead of looking across the gym and helping someone, it's videotaping them and putting it up for likes. And what I know is the people that are doing it someday, hopefully they'll do enough growth and, and they'll, they'll journey far enough to understand that. Doing that, you know, getting that easy laugh, right? And and it's a big thing I said. I used to, I mean, sarcasm was my primary language, you know, (laughs) and I'm not saying I don't ever use it. I just know that sarcasm is just thinly veiled negativity with humor. And so, you know, when you think about it, like I'm, I, I really work to, to use it as little as possible. And right there, no one's perfect by any means, However, you know, think, you know, you talk about this language piece. It's like, think about uh, a waiter that comes to your table at like, a, you know, like an Olive Garden. And you have your meal. Like that waiter's, for the most part, always going to like say your plate's gone. They'll be like, oh, like looks like someone didn't like that. Why do they say that? Because like, the Olive Garden's not a five-star restaurant and you may not have liked it. So if they say, oh, you you must have loved that and you don't. That's not very safe for them. But when you right. go to a five-star restaurant, that that waiter comes up. It's like, that was delicious, wasn't it? Because they have complete safety that that food was fucking on point. And so sure. everything everybody does in life, man, it's to survive, dude. And, you know, if if people have to tear down other people and, and do those things, man, that means that that person – is struggling inside and doesn't have the safety and security to just be themselves and lift others up because weak people tear others down, strong people hold others up.
0: Do you do you find uh with I don't know, like you're in, in currently with the spot, like obviously you have two locations, or at last I knew you had two locations and all that. Like uh I don't know how often you're in there like physically working with the the kids or if you have delegated most of that off, but do you find that like You having been through what you've been through and having done the work to grow as a human being, like, do you find that to be part of what's important with working with these kids? Like it's not just lifting weights. Like I think it's important to, you know, sometimes it's important to go in there and fucking bang weights. Like it feels good to like go in and just like let it out and have this cathartic experience. But do you find that it's important as well being a role model for these kids? I don't even like that word role model, but like giving them a space where you can kind of show them how to be and, and you could be this big, burly, tough dude, but also be like aware and not be just like a raging maniac. Like, do you find that you're trying to put help the kids out with that sort of growth, especially like young men, these like 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kids?
1: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it comes down like, I, it, you know, back in, in when I was, uh, you know, in a different place, man, it, it, you know, the rage and the anger controlled me like it, you know, getting out of the car to slap that guy. what it, That wasn't a choice for me. Right. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. Man, should I do this? By the time I knew what was happening, I was in the sunroof slapping him. Right. Like it it controlled me. And and so. You know, I think now, obviously, it would take a lot. Someone would have to to hurt one of my kids. And you know, the difference is now is that I can control it, which makes it a hell of a lot more dangerous. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things in today's world is that, you know, these, these young men, they don't have this outlet to see if they can be dangerous. Right. Like I got in fights all the time growing up. And I'm not saying you should get in the amount of fights I did. But like. People act the way they do because they've never been punched in the face. And true, you know, I, I always say, like, if you say you've never lost a fight, you ain't never fought enough people. Because I'm going to tell you, I there was one that I lost. And it was about 10 to 1. And trust me, there was no winning that, Bob. And, <laughs> you know, it's the thing with this, when you talk about the role, you asked if I think that that's important. And I tell parents all the time, very few of our athletes are going to be professional athletes. But they all need to be professional human beings. And, Bingo, dude. you know, yes. and, and that's the thing for us. I believe the gym and training, I believe it's one of the only spaces left for young people where they can learn to struggle. They can get wins. They can learn to lose, right? They can learn teamwork. They can learn hard work, all of these pieces. And, you know, in our, in our facility, you know, right big on the wall, our training philosophy. Right. Number one is build that movement. Number two, positive energy always. And for me, dude, that wasn't how I did. I mean, shit, you know what West Side's like, man. It ain't positive energy always. That's for sure. No, I would say more often the other way. Yes. (laughs) And, And, you know, what I say is like motivating people in that way, it's a hate filled motivation and and hate is like a rocket fuel, man. It can make you do some amazing things in the short term, but eventually it's going to run out or it's going to blow up. However, love is a renewable resource. And so when you coach from that place of love and when you come at people with, you know, not this contempt or hate or judgment, but a curiosity and that's, you know, look, man, it's been a lot of work. Like I, I really work hard to approach everything with, with loving curiosity and, and I'm not always great at it, man. I look, I just like anybody, you slip into old patterns. Right. And I really work though to, to remind myself when I, and, and catch myself when, when I'm not doing that. And for us, man, we have a quote on the wall. This is my grandma. When, when we was growing up, my grandma, like my grandparents kind of raised me and, my grandma always used to say that whenever we would say, I can't, she would make us say, I can, I will, and I'll try. And so in our gym, there's a huge quote on the wall that says, can't is not an option. I can, I will, I'll try. And when our athletes say, I can't do something, we make them reframe it and say, I haven't worked hard enough to build the skill to do this yet. And, you know, there's a great Carol Dweck, the power of yet. If you've never listened to that, it's fantastic, but anybody can do anything. It's just, do they want to put in the sacrifice? And, you know, obviously, right. If you have a 200 pound bench, are you ever going to bench 800 pounds? Like, no, but you can be a, Four hundred pound bencher, right? And
0: you can be the best version of your bench press,
1: exactly. And yeah, you know, I think for us, the comp, and that's what. So, like, you know, I said our mission at the spot is to is to give everyone to have an opportunity to have that Bill Mertz type experience. Well, what is that, dude? That's positive, lifelong transformation, and that's not just physical, dude. The biggest transformation is confidence, right? The biggest one is confidence, dude. Like my freshman year, the senior wrestlers, dude, they. They picked up. I I didn't wrestle my sophomore year because the seniors were such assholes. And, you know, but my sophomore year, I wasn't 135, man, I was 185. And so we didn't have any bigger guys. And I'll never forget the the 152 pounder, my my freshman year was a total like he was an asshole. I mean, he at states, he flipped the crowd off. Like, I mean, he was Ugh, like he was yuck. and uh so he, it was interesting, right? So the wrestling coaches, they were awesome. You know, Chad is like a dude. He was like a big mentor, you know, Bruce Miller. Those guys were awesome. And they just, you know, like, Bruce just stayed on me, stayed on me, come out, come out, come out. Man, I, I went out and, you know, it, it was great, man. I took sixth in the state. I took second in the state as a senior. Like I had a fantastic experience wrestling. i learned a ton, made great friends. And I'll tell you what, those seniors came back for Christmas break that next year. And I broke that son's bitch's nose, rubbed his face all over the mat. And I'll tell you <laughs> what he did. He didn't last all the practice and he had to go and he never came back. And, <laughs> and you know, that's the thing, man is like, it it gave me the confidence to stand up for myself. Right. It gave me tools. And that's the thing that I feel like we do at the spot, whether look, and here's the thing, man, whether, cause is it, Everyone wants to work with the damn pro athletes. This drives me crazy. Everybody wants to work with pro athletes. At the Spot Athletics, the population we pride ourselves on and the population we love working with most is an 11 to 14-year-old. Dude, that, because here's the thing. I train pro athletes, right? I got a guy right now, throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. I'm not going to say something to him one day that's going to change his life, but that 12-year-old walks in and he says, I can't. And I changed his mindset to, I haven't worked hard enough to do this yet. And now he accomplishes stuff at school. He never thought he accomplishes things with his peer group in school, all these pieces, because he has a mindset shift to yet one word to a 12 year old. I can change the trajectory of his life. Tell me how the fuck that can't be your favorite population of kids to work with. Dude, I, let me tell you, man
0: when we took over this gym out here, we bought it and kind of rebranded it and everything. I didn't really realize how many teenagers and like, you know, preteens we'd be around. And uh, there's something to be said for watching a, however old young man, just like all of a sudden walk with his chest up a little higher. And you, you have these little conversations where you're like, I just had a conversation with this kid and you you can, you know, we're older, man. We know what we're doing, what this conversation means. And it's like you, you go home at night and you think about it and you're like, man, like I just watched a light bulb turn on for this kid and we had a kid get hurt. A while back and he was really nervous about his hamstring and all this stuff. And I worked with him where I said, listen, man, you just keep showing up. We're going to get through this. Everything's fine. I know it's scary sometimes, but you just keep going and it's fine. We're going to help you through this. And all of a sudden, you know, however many months later, he hits a big squat PR, whatever. And I looked at him, I said, remember a few months ago, I said, just keep showing up, man. This is what you get for that. This is Mm -hmm. the reward. And that's a life lesson. That ain't
1: about a bigger lift. That's about being successful in everything you do in life.
0: Oh, 100%, man. I remember getting in the car with my wife after and being like, I just had a conversation with that, you know, with this young man. And, like, I could tell he was – I told him, I was like, I'm proud of you, man, because this took – this took balls to do this. This took guts to do what you well, did, and you got rewarded for it.
1: You know, it's it's interesting. A lot of focus, you know, young men, and obviously there's that. But, dude, to me, man, it's the girls. Really? We ha- oh, dude. By far and away, the biggest changes I see are with the young females. I mean, because males, once they get testosterone, like some some things are going to click regardless. But sure. with the girls, dude, that's the stuff. That's my heart, man. Like we did. So like we had an athlete come in, dude, eighth grade girl, got cut from like her club swim team, whatever. Would not look you in the eye, dude. Like, so little confidence. Dude, she trained with us year-round, started playing sports. That girl, by the end, dude, you'd walk in the gym, she'd be screaming, what's up, like, leading groups. She got a full ride to play sports in college for a major Division one university. Sick. So sick. And, like, to me, we did a a program. So, I have an 11-year-old daughter. Like, you don't know yeah it's hard for young boys but like part of that is just like you know i have a seven-year-old i tell them all the time you someone messes you punch them right in their fucking throat and let dad come talk to them at school because they won't like that conversation and like (laughs) you know my kid my son ain't gonna have no problem doing that but my daughter like i can't like i can't do that with her it's different yeah it dude like the pressure like we we see it dude like These young girls, man, we see cut marks on their arms. Like, it's, dude, it's, it's a thing, man. Like, young girls, dude, that to me, that population is, it's tough, man. Like, the social pressers, like, just, we didn't have that shit, man. Like, 24 seven, their contact and connectivity and, Man, like, so, like, I got an 11-year-old daughter, and, like, we we have a coach. She has a master's degree in counseling, and she's a fantastic Olympic lifter, and, you know, she's just an awesome person. Uh, so, this summer, we ran this program. It was called Empower, you know, like, EMP, you know, the ER deal. Oh, yeah. I saw something about that come up on IG the other day. You guys do, like, events and stuff? Well, no. So, that's, like... That like people do different things with it for us. What, what ours was our empower program was, it was 90 minutes and we, and Maeve is, is our coach. She's awesome. I call her a unicorn. And, uh, you know, so she would spend, you know, 20 minutes going through different aspects of language, you know, confidence, all these different pieces with these young girls, because giving them the skills that God to navigate how hard the world is. And then they'd go training. Right. So they do this big, like personal development for young women and then, and then go train and get after it. And dude, like that, like to me, that, that's what we do all the time. This was just, you know, formalized a lot more for, for specifically only this population. But you like, I'm telling you, man, like th- there's a lot with young dudes, like, you know, young boys, like we definitely like make a huge impact with young men. But like that's why I say like the young women, man, that's where my heart is because like I'm gonna tell you, man, when you have a little daughter, dude, like I look back, it's a lot of the stuff I did to the girls I dated, man. I don't want my daughter to have to go through that stuff, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I was- I've,
0: I've I've heard that it changes you a little bit, like the your perspective on things, and 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 to be to be fair, like uh, girls tend to be the. My friend said it best a long time ago. He said the difference between coaching guys and coaching girls is when a girl asks you a question, they are not seeing if the answer they had in their right in their head is yep. is right already. Like the guys are sitting sitting there saying, yep. "Should I do it this way?" They already think they know the answer. They want you to like clarify verify. and say, "Yes, yeah, yeah, verify, yeah, that they that they're right." And the girls actually want to know. There's a little less ego there. It's almost like you Uh, with the, with the, with the boys, like you kind of kick the ego down a little bit. Sometimes and with the girls, you kind of want them to have a little more, you know?
1: and, And I think that's coaching. Right. And that's what I think to me, what I've realized over the last couple of years is, you know, my magic is it's about coaching. Right. So yes. Right. Like, you know, you know, Bench press, you know, 775, squat over nine, like pull over eight, like all this stuff. It's, it's fun stuff. And I think technically I'm one of the best people at the world at looking at someone's list, knowing where their weakness is, knowing what they need to do, seeing the patterns. However, I don't think anything I know technically is as important as who I am as a coach to my clients and, and that we work with at the spot. Because no one, no one ever changed the world with a big squat or a 4 two forty, right? Sure. But it, you know, for me, if we can make, you know, better parents, better spouses, you know, better kids, right? Like all these pieces as, as everyone grows and as they are there, right? Like we talk a lot to our parents, like, and this is something, you know, I'm, like I'll, you know, kind of want to finish with for all the parents out there. When your kid, you know, you see these parents like, "Oh, you could have done better on this and you could have done better on that." Dude, you should ask your kid two questions when they come off the field. And I don't care if we're talking about pee wee or if we're talking about college or pro. There's two questions you and especially obviously in pee wee and in high school, two questions. Number 1, did you do your best every play? Number two, did you have fun? Because if that kid says they did their best every play, and obviously you work on them, don't really think about it. You feel like you did your best every play. And if they say yes, as a parent, you shut your fucking mouth. It doesn't matter if you thought they were walking on plays, they were dogging because when that kid tells you that they did their best on every play and then you start ripping them apart, what you're saying to that kid is their best is not good enough for you. Sure. Yeah. So detrimental. Like kids today, like you said, like girls, boys, like God, they need confidence, man. Like that's what I say at the spot. Like, It doesn't matter adults, kids, whatever. When they come to the spot, our job as coaches at the Spot Athletics is to give them as many wins as possible while they're at the Spot Athletics. Just fucking awesome, man. I
0: dude, my old man, I like, listen, man, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've fucked up. Every problem I've had in my life has been my own doing. Cause my parents are fucking rock solid people. <laughs> uh, and I could just, it's just, it just is what it is, dude. Like I, I can admit that, but my dad used to look at me before I've, I've shared this before on the, on the show before, but, uh, he'd look at me when I played hockey, he would look at me before I got on the ice and it, when I was older and he would be calling me before a game, he would say the same thing. He would just say, go out there, do your best have fun and remember that I love you no matter what happens. And it sounds like some cheese ball shit. Oh no, dude, that's like, exactly it. It was, that, he nailed. Dude, it's so funny. It's so funny. That's exactly
1: what li- I just it's li- said,
0: man. It's literally what he would say to me before every fucking game from when I was, that's six awesome, years dude. old, all the way That's up, awesome, and he would. Dude. And I'll never forget it, dude. I like all the way up through college. Like I got my balls busted by my teammates in college because we came out to the lobby at the rink, and I gave both of my parents a hug and a kiss. Said, I love you, and I got my balls busted. I lost my fucking mind on this kid because it was just like, man, like without them, I'm not here. Yeah. And and because of the way they treated it, it, always it always meant so much to me, but. You know, well, it's, it's one of those things. I think it's really important what you're doing, dude.
1: Well, I think I appreciate that. And I think one thing not to be overlooked at what your dad said is the word "try" denotes an opportunity for failure. So your dad didn't say "try your best" because that's fail. That's it's, right, Yoda. Right? There's no try. Do or do not. Yeah. And, and and he's right. That's why you know, for us, I keep my grandma's quote up there that says, "I can, I will, and I'll try." And I've thought about, man, I really don't like the word try. I mean, my my daughter, I I spoke to all her teachers at our school. She introduced me and her the start of her introduction to me was in our house. We don't use the word try because try gives an opportunity for failure. Not that you want. And and that's the thing that's I think, you know, I just say like, shout out to your dad, man. What's so beautiful is that he inherently did that. And, and that's a freaking parent that's that's well-tuned in to to what your kid needs, man. That's really awesome.
0: There's a reason why he was the best man at my fucking wedding after probably giving him heart failures throughout my whole life for how much I was fucking up right. and being an idiot. Right. <laughs> wait, wait,
1: wait. You, you had no doubt that he was going to be your best man. You just had doubt that he was going to accept. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no shit. No shit. Well, well hey, uh, hey, dude. Yeah, I'm no, really this crazy. was awesome, man. This was great, dude. I really appreciate the conversation, man. This has been awesome.
0: Fucking rad, um can you please like give out like social media how people can reach out to you? We've got people listen all over the place, man. So like wherever they can find the spot athletics online and how they can get in touch with you and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean the biggest thing, obviously, you know, we have the spot athletics on, but on my content, the the really the bulk of what we talked about, that's you know, I put a lot of that on my Instagram, coach underscore JL. And and that, you know, I haven't been putting a lot of content. Out. I've been working a lot of stuff. So that's really one of my big goals. Like what you said in the beginning is, you know, more people should know. But, you know, the people that are busy really doing things don't have time to tell everyone about it. And I, I'm fortunate spot. I have a, just a fantastic team now. And so we're getting to the point where a lot of these pieces we talked about, I'm going to really start putting out there. And that's going to be, you know, all through that coach underscore JL where I'll be putting that information out and just, you know, more, more of the same that we talked about, you know, in this podcast.
0: Fucking right, man. Yeah. So everybody who's listening, make sure you go check that out, follow him, make sure you keep an eye on it. Cause this dude is a fucking wealth of knowledge and obviously very articulate about, uh, about what he feels about things and very passionate. So thank you again, JL. I really appreciate it. Um, guys, make sure you're following my, my personal page, Anthony CW three, uh, the trigger warning pages, trigger underscore warning, underscore conjugate. And then the, uh, uh Jim Page's Anchor Athletics and NH we are sold out for our meet in December we're super stoked doing a food drive for the local SPCA uh memorial for my dog that passed this year it's going to be fucking really cool so keep your eyes out for that that's what we got for today thanks again for listening to the TWC Stay Hated podcast and as always stay hated motherfuckers